morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody. And I love this time of year when things get a little bit warmer. Because, see, I'm cold all the time. If it's below, uh, really, to be honest with you, if it's below 75, I'm starting to kind of, okay, where's the hoodie? Where's the long sleeves? You know, I, 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 that's me. I, I, I thrive in warmer weather. I'd much rather be dripping with sweat than to be any kind of cold. And some people are opposite. That's me. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this just a second ago. And what are some of the things that came along with summertime as a kid? I don't know if anybody else experiences this, but I'm learn, like, more and more I run into things that remind me of when I was a kid. Like little fits of nostalgia I'll have a lot. And I, you know, because in my mind, I think everything was perfect back then. But I'm sure if I was an adult back then, I would think, well, everything was perfect back before then. And it seems to be a steady progression of things, I guess, as you get older. But one of the things of summertime was being in the house. You could be minding your own business, doing whatever. But as soon as you heard a little tune outside, your eyes lit up because you knew it was the ice cream truck. And you could be in the middle of your favorite TV program. You could be in the middle of doing some chores. You could be in the middle of playing your, with your favorite toy. Everything stopped. The whole world stopped because the ice cream truck was here. And you would bolt and start begging for money, right? Mom, please, 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 have some money for the ice cream truck. You know, and it was, you know, because you wanted to get out the door as fast as you could to let the ice cream man know that, hey, I, a kid resides here. And I will be patroning his ice cream truck. And the, now I wasn't, when I, when I would get to the ice cream truck, I wouldn't then hug the ice cream truck. And, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, pat the ice cream truck and, oh, I just love the ice cream truck. I wanted what was inside the ice cream truck. I wanted the ice cream. I, I wasn't so much, well, I was excited about the vehicle that the ice cream rode in on. But if you took all the ice cream out of the ice cream truck, okay, it plays a fine tune. But if, if it's a tune that deceives me and there's no ice cream, well, I'm going to be disappointed. I wanted what the ice cream truck brought to me. Now, I still heard that tune, and I knew that that meant ice cream. I wasn't so much marveled at the ice cream truck. Remember that story for a little bit later. There's a purpose in that. Our text today is going to be in the uh, book of Acts, uh, starting at chapter 3. And so we're still following along that timeline that whenever I've had the opportunity to speak since Easter, we've, you know, we've gone to Easter, we, we, we hit the resurrection, we, we hit the, the, uh, the Emmaus Road conversation that Jesus had with those two guys, we, uh, we, we, we touched on the ascension, we, we touched on last time what happened on Pentecost, and, and, and so we're still in very early stages of the church, very early. We're talking... Not only the same year that Jesus uh, uh, died and uh, rose to heaven, but within several you know, days and months of the events. So help keep that in mind. Help understand what's going on in these passages and try to 
put yourself in the position. And, and see, I'm a history nut. I, I, I read history. I love history. And in my mind, I'm th- I imagine, what would I do if I was there? How would it feel? How would it look? Would I, would, w- how would I interact with the historical events? So when I read stuff like this, I imagine, okay, I'm there. And, you know, I see the temple. That's where you go to, to pray. That's where you go to, to make sacrifices. That's where you socialize with other like-minded believers. That's where you go to give honor and praise and thanks to God. And I see the Pharisees and I see the Sadducees. And they are literally, from all intents and purposes, the most religious people that I know. Like, I see them walking down. I see them doing their daily life. And in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, that must be what righteousness looks like. They've got it all. They've done it all. They dress what they, how they need to dress. They look how they need to look. They do all the right things how they need to do. They make the right sacrifices. If I had any questions about the, the, the faith, I would go to one of these guys. That would be my go-to source, right? So put yourself in your shoes back then and the events that are happening and taking place. And so we get to Acts chapter 3 and we read the following. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, an hour of prayer. A certain man who was lame from birth was carried there every day and placed at the temple gate, which is called Beautiful, so that he could beg for donations from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for a donation. Peter looked directly at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man paid close attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately the man's feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple courts with them, walking, jumping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the one who used to sit begging for money at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people came running toward him in utter amazement in the area called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and disowned in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus that has strengthened this man. Whom you see and know. This faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. Now brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. Just like your leaders. But in this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. Therefore, repent 
and return to have your sins wiped out so that refreshing times may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. He must receive heaven until the times when everything will be restored as God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from your brothers who is like me. Listen to everything he tells you, and this is what will happen. Every person who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. Also, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have talked about these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with our fathers when he said to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. God raised up his servant and sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wicked ways. As Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple guard, and the Sadducees approached them. They were very upset because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead in connection with Jesus. They arrested them and put them in jail until the next day because it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men increased to about 5,000. Wow. Exactly. Wow. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. There is so much to talk about in this passage. There is a heap of stuff to talk about in this passage. So much is going on. Like I said earlier, this is still early, early in the history of the church. We are still just months after the resurrection, the ascension, and more than likely only days after Pentecost. This passage starts off like any other normal day. Any normal average day with Peter and John going to the temple to pray, which they probably did all their life. We don't know much about the beggar. We don't even know his name. His identity here is nothing more than one who is about to be blessed by God. And to be honest, if your identity is one who is blessed by God, what other identity do you need? What other, what other identity do you want? What other identity even matters? What other identity would you want your life to revolve around? We do, though. I do it all the time. But the good news is not so much of how we identify ourselves, but how God identifies us, beloved, friends, his treasure in the field, heirs, sons, daughters, one whom Christ died for, crucified with Christ, in Christ. That's what matters, how he identifies us. So here is this guy who's been crippled since birth. Since birth, his legs do not work. They probably even look like legs that do not work. They're not muscle-bound as if they had been used all the time, but probably skin and bones more than likely. Back then, if you can't walk, you can't work. Think about that. Back then, they didn't have all the modern technologies that we do now. You had to use your body to make a living. I mean, there may have been some other occupations here and there where maybe... Maybe people got paid for other things. But most of the people back then, you got to walk to work. And if you wanted to eat, you, you better be working. That was just the way things were. 
So this man is over 40 years old and has never had the use of his legs. And his only hope for anything in life is the kindness of those who pass him by as he begs for something. For mercy in the form of silver or gold. That was his existence for 40 plus years. This was his life. In many ways, we are also like the beggar. We too have been crippled since birth. Or worse, dead in our sin. Our sin, since sinners since day one because of Adam and because of us. The sins that we are doomed to commit for we are sinners, we are responsible for. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. See, there's a big difference. That's a sin nature that we have, that we have contracted. I like to teach my kids how to sin. I, would, I didn't have to be taught how to sin when I was a kid. That came natural. I knew how to make things all about me. Me, 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 me. I want, I want, gimme, 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 me, me, me. It's in our nature. When it comes to spiritual currency, we are all beggars. This is true. But God is an on-time God. He might not have been on time, according to that man who had been crippled for 40 plus years. But all events in his life, in Peter's life, in John's life, in all the people in the temple's life, for what they were about, for what they were there for that day, were all on time according to what God was about to do and for what God was about to happen. Peter and John looked directly at him. They didn't just toss a few coins at the man and kept walking by looking at him. They both did. They looked at him. They acknowledged him as a person. I've, and this is not, uh, I'm just telling this to use a story. I've given money to people who are in need before who I see. How many times have I given it to them without even looking at them? Yeah, sure, here you go. God bless you. Then I'm on my way. So read this passage. Peter and John looked at him. said, look at us. They acknowledged him that he was there. He was a person in need. The anticipation in that moment. Look at us. This man's expecting to probably be blessed. And I'm willing to bet he thought specifically in his version of what being blessed looked like. I've been like that. We have all been like that. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give to you. This must have initially been a huge letdown. Unless you are privy to what Peter has to give to the beggar. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. There is power in the name of Jesus. Specifically, when his name is invoked in accordance with his will, what he would do. See, there's a big difference in invoking the name of Jesus in accordance with his will and invoking the name of Jesus outside of his will. So don't expect to just, just jump up and get too busy because you told him to do something. There is one thing you can't hold him to, though. His word. His promises. Oh, hold him to that. Hold him to that. Lord, you promised that where you will be, I will be also. You promised to separate my sins as far as the east is from the west. You promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, call God out on those. He loves it when you do because those are his promises to his children. It should be noted right here that there wasn't all of a sudden a long line of people getting healed. You track that too? There was one guy. One guy. One guy that was healed. It didn't turn into that the reason why Peter and John were there were to heal everybody. 
Did God have the power to do that? Absolutely. But that's not the point of what is going on here. A crowd is quickly gathering because this went from an encounter to a scene, a public spectacle. What a commotion this must have caused. People doing what they have been doing forever, going to the temple to pray, and something out of the ordinary happens for a purpose. They turn to find out what the hubbub is all about. They recognize the crippled man. Well, he's not crippled anymore, and that's the freak out. They used to, he used to be a crippled guy as the one who sat begging for money at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what was happening to him. Wait, this guy has been lame his whole life. How is he jumping and walking? What is going on here? Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, (laughs) man was holding on to Peter and John. Imagine I would be too if all my life I was lame and some God told me to get up in the name of Jesus. I'm clinging to him too. Tell me more who Jesus is. Tell me more about what he said. What else have you got? Tell me more about Jesus because you just spoke his name and now I can walk. All the people came running toward them in utter amazement in the area called Solomon's Colonnade. They came running. It was a scene. In utter amazement, this situation has created a captive audience of the temple goers to listen to what Peter and John have to say next. This is going to be the reason for why that man was healed. It was so much more beyond physical healing at this point. It was to have a captive audience because Peter and John of the apostles are there to deliver them the good news to people who have been going to the same temple for the same time over and over again, probably visitors there too, and now they're listening because something has happened and people are there with some very important information. Take note that Peter did not use this miracle to proclaim some sort of power as if they were powerful or it is because of some sort of righteous living morality that they had that they had that made this miracle possible. They did not invoke live writer and you can have power like us. Beware groups that teach, speak, are obsessed with wonder power for it is for it and the pursuit of it of it is their little G God. They marvel more at their own power than they do at Christ. What does Peter say next? He identifies himself as one of them. Jews in the temple. He's appealing to a common bond of common ancestry and a common covenant people whose covenant has been replaced and updated with a new one. He identifies Jesus as a part of their heritage. Peter then brings in the law, quick and heavy. Did y'all catch that too? Oh, he brought the law in good. The law's job is to silence every mouth. That's the law's job, is to silence every mouth. If you think you are fulfilling the law, if you think you are living up to its holy standards, if you think you are living perfect as God is perfect, one, you haven't even started to consider the depths of your sin. You haven't even started to consider the value and the full value of God's law. You've got more problems than you possibly can imagine. Because if you think that you can fulfill the law, then according to that faith, then what Jesus did on the cross was stupid. And he should have never have done it. Because you can do it. That is the problem of thinking that you can live up to the law. So the law's job is to silence. And that's what Paul does. He lays it out quick. You killed Jesus. You are his murderers. The author of life. The son of God. You killed God. And he's laying them out with the law. The law is laying them out. He even says, we're witnesses of this. 
This is Peter. This has come out of Peter's mouth. He ran and betrayed Jesus. So the law's getting him too. Peter then brings, starts to bring in the gospel. Watch this turn. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance just like your leaders. A little bit of mercy here, but still responsibility. The cut of the law remains. Verse 18, but in this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer to bring about an ushering in of the gospel. That what they did was still all under the control and sovereignty of God. The plan all along through their evil. Verse 19, therefore repent. Turn to, that's what repenting means. Return to what? You see those people with the big, huge signs and they're protesting, repent, repent, repent. Next time, uh, no, I'm not telling you to do this. But it's very tempting to go up to them and go, repent to what? You say repent. Good on you. Repent to what? Tell me the good news. Yeah. Repent to what? Yeah. You can tell people turn, 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 turn all you want, but if you don't tell them what they're repenting to, there's no hope. Amen. Turn to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith, the Savior of the world, God the Son who died for me and for you. Therefore, repent and return to have your sins wiped out. Can you imagine the people in the crowd? Wait, what? You just told us we killed this man. You just, you just, the law just convicted us that we just killed Jesus. So now you're telling us that we can repent and turn to him so that he will wipe that sin out, wipe all our sins out? This is a different kind of person because in, in any type of other action movie, you kill a guy, he comes back, he's coming to find the people that kill him and deliver out justice, right, and retribution. We're like, yeah, this is a different kind of action hero. Kill him, he comes back to forgive you, to Wipe your sins out. To remove all your sin from you. To give his righteousness to your account. When we stop to pause at the vehicle that the gospel might rode in on. A miracle. Whatever it makes. As, it makes as much sense to marvel at the miracle. Rather than Christ as it does to pat the ice cream truck rather than get the ice cream that's inside. Miracles are a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. It is Jesus that is my everything. Where if all the miracles were gone, what he did for me remains. There's so, much, there's so many other passages in here. There's so much stuff that I want to point out. Verse 25. He said, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with our fathers when he said to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. The fulfillment of the promise made to Eve and to Adam since day one. He's letting them know it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Notice what the concept of being blessed is here. And connect it with what was said earlier. That the man was expecting to be blessed in one way, but was blessed in a different way, a better way. When I hear 
the word blessed, or when I hear people say the word blessed, or even when I say, oh, I'm doing blessed, I'm good, I'm blessed. A lot of it usually appears to equating to having a good day, having my needs met, having my wants had, body healthy, wallet fat, kids well behaved, and doing good in school, job, etc. That's, that's, that's somehow where my mind goes when I hear the word blessed. But look at what being blessed is identified as here. Blessing or the state of being blessed is having been given the gift of Jesus Christ. After all this, they got arrested by the priests, the commander of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. Jesus didn't promise his followers that they would have a life free of sorrow, pain, free of trials and tribulations. He actually did promise that persecution would come for his name's sake. But as I said earlier, he also made some other promises too, that he would never leave them that where he is, they would be also. This is why Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he could leap tall buildings in a single bound? No. He could take life as it hit him, all things, for it was Christ who strengthened him. Take note, ever since 30 AD, almost always the objectors to the good news that God's grace is enough, that Jesus died for all of your sins, that you are free completely, finally, and wholly saved and approved by God, courtesy of Jesus Christ, are the self-righteous religious crowd. The objection to God's grace almost always comes from inside the church or what is identified by the church as society. But everyone on the outside, the sinners that need mercy, the sinners who have nothing, those who are aware that their only hope is not to save themselves, but someone else needs to save them, is where the message is wonderfully, gladly, hysterically received. It is no coincidence that it is always religious self-righteous whose identity is bound in their power and established traditions are the greatest enemies of the gospel. And see, before I can see, I'm a Pharisee to Pharisees. Sometimes I take pride in my self-righteousness of how awful their self-righteousness is. I catch myself going, oh, thank God I'm not like that self-righteous person. (laughs) Guilty! The law comes in again and cuts my legs out from underneath me. I need Jesus more and more and more, so much more than I possibly do that I possibly know or even think of. Christ's cross and blood are almost always, the rejections to it are almost always from inside the church and sound like, yeah, grace, but. Yeah, God did his part, but. You have to do yours. Yeah, the gospel, but. Yeah, Jesus died for you, but, but, but. There are no big or little buts after the gospel. Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. You are forgiven for Christ's sake. You are free for Christ's sake. You are blessed and highly favored for God has called you and chose you as his own. That is what being blessed and favored by God is for Christ's sake. Full stop. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men increased to about 5,000. Boom. The self-righteous were too late. The end game of what started as a beggar asking for help mushroomed into a spread of the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. More than being able to walk, many are now able to live, live forever, all courtesy of an on-time God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, like the beggar, receive God's gifts. God is a giver. We receive the word of the gospel. We receive the Lord's Supper, the body and blood for us. As the team comes forward, I want to proclaim to you something. Not give you a list to check off or five steps of salvation or seven life hacks of a better life. I'm not here to give that to you today. For Christ's sake, you are forgiven. These three words not only describe a fact, but they are the very point of the Christian faith. I'm not here to project an image of the Christian faith with words like, you can do better. You know that already. Of course you can do better. I can do better too. I am not your mother. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm not here to ask you, what would Jesus do? I'm here to ask you, what did Jesus do? What has Jesus done? I am not here to ask you, have you decided to follow Jesus, but to tell you that Jesus decided to die in your place. I'm not here to ask you to invite Jesus into your heart and life, but to tell you that Jesus gave his heart to you and has invited himself into your life, just like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm coming down to your house today. Jesus wasn't invited by Zacchaeus. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Many popular Christian voices today missay or offer an endless amount of tips, life hacks, goals, checklists, all under the guise of helping you become a better Christian or how to get closer to God or how to live a life that you will make, that will make you acceptable to, acceptable to God. Fully on all that. None of these lists, plans, tips, and goals give you the power to do what they demand. You will fail, you will crash, you will burn. All of them will tell you what you need to do, and they are never done. The good news is, the whole point the Christian age says, believe this, and it is already done. Already done for you. Jesus has promised to complete the good work that he has started in you. He is the author and finisher of your faith. That's his pay grade. That's his job. As a Christian, you have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. He has maxed out the limit of the righteousness that you need. You can't do better than Jesus and can't add any more to his righteousness that is being counted for you already. His righteousness is sufficient for you. You are a baptized child of God. If you have not been baptized, go do it. It is a wonderful promise of a good conscience before God. So on days that you don't feel saved, there are days when I don't feel saved. There are days when I sin and I feel like I just blew it all. All this stuff is just wrecked because of me. Listen to what Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39 says. Peter answered them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death. So that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. At communion, we like, we like the beggar receive not silver and gold, but bread and wine. 
body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. This is what the gospel means. Jesus' forgiveness for you. I'm not here to tell you how to be forgiven and approved by God by your own efforts, but to show you how you are actually and already forgiven because Jesus has done all that is needed for you. Based off of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you and me are forgiven. want to lead us in prayer right quick and after I pray we're going to have a time for prayer down forward with anyone that has needs you're free to go you're free to quietly leave but we're going to have a time for prayer afterwards thank y'all so much for coming here and it's God loves you so much more than you think he does Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for sending your son. I thank you so much that you have, you have made it a way possible for us to be reconciled to you. Thank you that you did this. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for us all. Thank you for this good news, this wonderful good news that we are free in you because of you. Lord, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to, to understand how it could be this good, why you would do this. But we take hope and we take word, we take faith in your word, Lord, that you said you did it because you loved us, that you, that you promised that you would never leave us. We get that life happens, Lord, but to know that you promised to be there even when the storm is happening, Oh, that helps so much. It helps so much to know that you're there with me. And Lord, that you promised that we would be with you where you are right now one day also. That's everything. Lord, I ask that you send the Holy Spirit right now to convict every heart in this room, to tell every heart in this room that it's true, that it's true, that Jesus died for them and all that they need is given and provided by Christ already for them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.